Okay, we're going to be back in the book of Ephesians. So if you open up to Ephesians chapter 5, this is going to be Imitators of God Part 2. Imitators of God Part 2. And as you're uh, turning there, we'll go to Lord in prayer. One, one other announcement too. Uh, I, I think somebody said that the, the bulletin or some announcement says the men's Bible study is at 7 p.m. on Wednesdays. It's actually 6.30 p.m. on Wednesday nights down in the classroom. So if you want to come to the men's Bible study, and we're going to be going over Hebrews chapter 3, and everybody does their own title, summary, and application. And uh, so uh, if you're interested in coming, it's 6.30 uh, on Wednesday nights, not 7, and it's downstairs. We all meet up here and get everybody down, and then if somebody texts that they showed up late, we go and open the door for them. So Ephesians chapter 5, uh, Imitators of God, part 2. Let's go to the Lord in prayer one more time for that he anoints the, uh, the preaching of the word. Father, in Jesus' precious name, we're so grateful, Lord, that even though we're sinners and we cannot earn our salvation and we deserve hell, despite that, you loved us and you sent your Son to die on the cross and to take our punishment for us. He died for our sins. And then you rose him from the dead to conquer death for us. So it's my prayer, Lord, that each and every one of us would trust in your son Jesus alone for salvation and recognize their salvation in no one else. Uh, once you save us, Lord, you fill us with your Holy Spirit and empower us and lead us. And so I pray, Lord, that you would help us to be imitators of you, imitators of, of your son, the Lord Jesus, uh, through the power of the Holy Spirit and for your glory. And so I pray, Lord, you've given us your perfect word, but then you've called imperfect men to preach it. And so I pray, Lord, you would cancel the man, and you would anoint me with your spirit and empower me to proclaim your truth so that I would not lead anyone astray. I pray everyone here would know that the, the final authority on what is true and what is good is not the guy behind the pulpit, nor is it any other human walking the earth right now. The ultimate authority is your written word. And so I just pray, Lord, that uh, you give us all the courage to test what we hear from the pulpit today and to hold fast to that which is good and to reject that which fails the test of your word. And I pray, Lord, that uh, your Holy Spirit would illuminate our minds to receive truth from your word and empower us to apply these truths so that we could be pleasing in your sight until that day when your son returns as King of kings and Lord of lords to reign upon the earth. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. Amen. So imitators of God, part two. Remember, Paul has told us that... Uh, we are to put off the old man, the old you. That's who you were before you came to Jesus, and now you're to put on the new man. You're a new creation in Christ. If you've trusted in Jesus for salvation, you're not who you used to be. Now, Satan wants to lie to us. Satan wants to convince us that we're who we used to be. We still have to do what we used to do. That's a lie. You're a new creation in Christ. The Lord has set you free. 
You're no longer a slave to sin, now you're a slave to righteousness. And we do, we go back and stumble and we bring back the old man, but we don't have to. It's a lack of trust, a lack of faith in the Lord is the reason why we stumble all around. And we won't be perfected until Jesus returns and we see him face to face. But until that time, Paul tells us, put off the old man, put on the new man. That's, and that's from obey God from the heart through the power of the Holy Spirit. And, uh, and he tells us that we are to be imitators of God. And, um, and so look at uh, verse 1. Therefore, be imitators of God as dear children. Do you just like children imitate their parents? We need to imitate our heavenly Father. And we don't get to heaven by imitating God. We're saved by God's grace. It's a free gift. And um, we don't imitate God to get saved, but we imitate God because we are saved. And so... Uh, you imitate who you want to be like. Okay? Now, I can remember growing up, I was into sports. I could imitate Muhammad Ali and dance around and have my gloves low and move my head. Now, it never worked when I stepped in a ring, you know. <laughs> Ali used to do things that only Ali could do. But I used, to, I used to imitate Willie McCovey, one of my favorite baseball players, and Bobby Mercer. I had their swing down pat. Nowadays, I can see guys like my, uh, my late nephew, Andrew. He, used to, he practiced and went over and over again the Ken Griffey Jr. swing. And that got him in the minor league baseball. He led the Arizona Rookie League in hitting. He led the, led the next level in hitting. Then they moved him on up. And then he got tired of it, wanted to start a family. So he just went crabbing with his dad for a living. He's from Anacortes. And... Um, um, but imitation, we imitate um, who we want uh, to be like. Um, and I'll, I'll say this, if you're human, you have to imitate somebody. That's just being part of being human. You're going to imitate somebody, you know. It's like the old Bob Dylan song, you got to serve somebody. It might be the Lord, it might be Satan, but you got to serve somebody. So... For us, uh, the question really isn't, should I imitate somebody? Uh, the issue is, who are you going to imitate? Now, Paul just got done in Ephesians 4 telling us, put away lying, stealing, unrighteous anger, bitterness. He told us we're to be kind and forgiving. What he's basically telling us is be like Jesus. Okay? Now, I, I saw real early... In my walk with the Lord, I got saved in 1981 when I was in the Marine Corps, and I saw real early that imitating uh, God, imitating God the Son, imitating Christ, I realized, wow, that's an important thing. And um, and then I, I ended. I used to write these little songs, and I used to sing them. And when uh, I started dating. Uh, Kathy, and, and then we got married, and me, uh, Kathy and Melissa would sing the little songs that I wrote, but one of them I, that I wrote was, uh, Jesus Had a Beard, okay? And it started that uh, Jesus had a beard all over his chin, at least I think he did, uh, I want to be like him, 
Okay? And I had other choruses where Jesus had certain characteristics that weren't really the important ones for us, but it was like, hey, that doesn't cost anything, so I want to be like him in that area. I want to be like him in that, uh, that other area. And, but then the final chorus was, uh, Jesus never lied. Jesus never feared. He always did what he should. I think I'll grow a beard. If you love Jesus, you want to be like him. That's more than, you know, a beard. Okay? We want to be like our king. And that's going to take purity. That's going to take love. That's going to take refraining from sin. And, uh, and so we're to put away lying, stealing, unrighteousness, bitterness, and we're to be kind and forgiving. So therefore be imitators of God as dear children. He says a child wants to be like their parents. We should want to be like uh, the triune God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And it's easiest for us to identify with Jesus because he's the only person of the Trinity that became one of us. So you can imagine uh, the Old Testament saints, how much tougher the question, what is God like? Man, you've got to be a really good theologian to say, well, what is God like? What would God do in this situation? Okay? Then in the New Testament, now it's like, okay, what is God like? Well, Jesus is God the Son become a man. What would Jesus do in this situation? Well, um, he lived a life on this planet. And so we can learn a lot uh, from him. So, uh, so we're told there, be imitators of God as dear children and walk in love as Christ also has loved us and given himself for us, an offering and a sacrifice uh, to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. So we're to walk in love. This is how we imitate God. If you want to imitate Jesus, you've got to walk in love. Okay? Uh, we're going to find that also you have to be morally pure through the power of the Holy Spirit. You have to bear the fruit of the Spirit. You have to walk in the light as he walks in the light. You have to walk in wisdom. All these things are mentioned in just in the first 10 verses alone of Ephesians chapter 5. But if you want to imitate Jesus, first thing you got to do, you got to walk in love. You know, Mark 12, 30 and 31, uh, Jesus said that the most important commandments is to love God with everything you've got and to love your neighbor as yourself. Now, he, he goes on, too. He's, he's walking in love as Christ loved us and has given himself for us as an offering, as a sacrifice. The kind of love that we need to have, the kind of love that we need to walk in if we're going to be pleasing to our God, the kind of love is going to be a sacrificial love. A sacrificial love. You've got to take your own needs, your own desires, put them on the shelf, and put God first, others second, and yourself third. 
it actually it's kind of a little bit corny, but that, that acronym or whatever you call it, joy, secret to joy, Jesus first, others second, and yourself third. But that's what love is. Love isn't this mushy thing that people in America think it is. Love is the unconditional act. You expect nothing in return. It's the unconditional choice to put others' needs before your own. Okay? To put others first. To seek the greatest good for others. And so if we want to imitate God, we must do this by expressing love, not just for God, but also for our fellow man day by day. This is agape love. The Greek word is agape, seeking the greatest good for others. Paul could say in Romans 13.10, love does no wrong to a neighbor. Love, therefore, is the fulfillment of the law. How do, how do we exercise love? In Matthew 12, 7, Jesus told us to treat others the way we want to be treated. Okay? And so just treat others the way you want to be treated. Think, oh, people are always so critical, always putting me down, this and that, and blah, blah, blah. Well, are you doing that to others? If you don't want them to be critical to you, then don't be so critical of them. Be kind. Be encouraging. Now, am I saying that's going to change them so they treat you better? In a lot of cases, yes, but that's not a guarantee. That's where turning the other cheek comes in. God loved us so much, he sent Jesus. And so what did we do? We killed him. But he still loved us. He loved us to the point of offering himself as a sacrifice for our sins a sweet-smelling aroma before God, um, a sacrifice that God the Father accepted. So if we want to imitate God, um, then we are going to have to walk in love. Verse 3, but fornication, that's, that's the word for sexual immorality. By the way, uh, porneia in the Greek, we get our word pornography from this. But fornication... And all uncleanness, moral impurity, or covetousness, being greedy and coveting things for yourself, let it not even be named among you as is fitting for the saints. So if you want to be like Jesus, if you want to imitate God, you've got to be loving. You've got to do the right stuff, love others, serve others. But you also got to refrain from the bad stuff. Okay? You don't do it in your own power. You do it through the power of the Holy Spirit who has given you new life. Who is working through you and leading you and empowering you to be all that God uh, called you to be. Um, but the word porneia in the Greek, fornication, sexual immorality, all sexual mis misconduct... Uh, anything outside of unselfish marital relations. God gave us the gift of human sexuality for a husband and a wife. Okay? Now, you look at... Um, you look at our culture today. The American view of sexuality is so warped, so perverted, so corrupted... It looks almost nothing like 
the biblical view, the true view um, of uh, of sexuality. Um, see, it's you know from studying C.S. Lewis and Francis Schaeffer and studying the Bible, looking at world events. In 1998, I wrote a paper about the coming death of Western civilization and the death of man. Okay, and what I saw is that. With the death of God, in other words, our culture didn't want God anymore. And so the leaders of Western civilization in the 1800s, which is the 19th century, was the death of God. We, we threw God out of, out of everything. Our leaders just rejected God. Well, that meant that in the 20th century, if, there, if we're going to act like there's no God, truth, morality, and meaning are going to be dead but that means that in the 21st century, it's going to be the death of man. Our value comes from the one who created us. And so we, what we are living through right now, I would call the death of man, or what C.S. Lewis called the abolition of man. Okay? Um, what we're looking at in our culture is we thought, let's throw God out and then we'll have a party. And it's like, no, if we're going to throw God out, if we think God is dead, then man is dead too. And so we're looking for like value to human life. It's just, it's not there if there's no God. It's not a coincidence that 10 years after we took prayer to the public schools, we started killing babies before they were born. That's not a coincidence. Okay? If God is dead, man is dead too. And so now what we're doing is, we're saying we reject the creator. Our culture rejects the creator. So we're trying to create ourselves in whatever image we want to be created in. So, I mean, you throw God out the window, we don't even know which bathroom to use anymore. Okay? You get guys wanting to be, pretending to be gals, gals pretending to be guys, because they think if there's no creator... I can create myself in whatever image I want. And so we think, well, I don't want to know God. Well, great, man. Now you don't even know yourself. You don't even know who you are. You know, you really realize I learned more about who Phil Fernandez is by studying the Bible than by looking in the mirror. Okay? Because the heart is so deceitful. I was just lying about myself. Until I started reading the Bible and the Holy Spirit guided me in my study in the Bible. I realized, wow, that sounds like me. I'm that messed up guy that God wants to change. And, uh, and so now we get to the point where, you know, you get men marrying men. You have two guys down a block. I want to have a bogus ceremony with a bogus minister and get a bogus certificate to put on the wall saying they're married. To be totally honest with you, I don't know how I could stop that. Okay? I don't have the power to stop that. But I do know that's not marriage. God defined marriage in his word. One man and one woman, one lifetime. None of us are perfect. But we try by the grace of God and through his power. We trust in Jesus for salvation. He forgives us and he starts changing us from within so that we can then start to imitate God. And if we're going to imitate God through the power of the Holy Spirit, we must 
be sexually pure. You think about all the prom sexual promiscuity that is out there and the adultery, people being unfaithful to their spouses, and the pornography. I think it was back in the 1980s, Dr. James Dobson led a commission on pornography and found out 85% of pornography was controlled by organized crimes. Um, it's addictive. It's progressive. A divorce. You know, and I used to say this. The statistics show that uh, divorce, about one of every two marriages end in divorce. And the statistics aren't different between Christians and non-Christians. It's one of every two. And I thought, wow, that's really, really sad. But the, what we got to understand is everybody and their mother's brother calls himself a Christian. We got people who call themselves Christians in America that don't even want to imitate God. They don't want to serve Jesus. They want to do their own thing. So when we look at those people who call themselves Christians and we find out about the relationship of Christianity and divorce, if we say, well, what if the couple goes to church at least once a week? What if they pray daily? What if they read their Bible on a regular basis? You throw four or five factors that all Christians should be doing, and all of a sudden, the divorce rate among Christians gets closer and closer to zero. Okay? That's why C.S. Lewis said, the best argument for Christianity is Christians. And the best argument against Christianity is Christians. It just depends which Christians you're talking about. There's a whole lot of wolves in sheep's clothing. A whole lot of pretenders out there. Let me tell you, we don't want to be pretenders. We want to imitate God. And, uh, but we see a country filled with venereal diseases and, and uh, uh, AIDS and we see rape, one of the fastest growing violent crimes, incest, pedophilia, um, uh, abortion. A lot of abortion is because of our free sex society. I was just um, uh, talking with a guy um, who at one time was dating a gal who has a little gal. And it turned out that the reason why she had a gal, she was dating a guy and she was doing what God said not to do. She was being promiscuous and um, she wasn't married to the guy and she got pregnant and the guy told her, when she told him that she was pregnant, he said, okay, well then you, you, you need to get a, you need to get a, have an abortion. And she refused to abort her child and so he said, okay, I'm out of here. How many young ladies will say, well, I want to I keep my, my quote-unquote man and so I'll have an abortion if i got to have an abortion. You have Planned Parenthood, and sex education programs, and government-run schools. I think a 13-year-old girl still needs parental permission to get her ears pierced, but in the government-run schools, they can... Without the parents even knowing, they could drive her to Planned Parenthood and have an abortion. Some of our government-run schools have a Planned Parenthood office right there. And uh, um, But if we're going to imitate Christ, 
we've got to be loving and do the good stuff through the power of the Holy Spirit and for God's glory, but we've got to refrain from the bad stuff. We must be uh, sexually pure. Look at James chapter 1. I kind of call this the two sides of holiness. James chapter 1 and verse 27 James chapter 1 and verse 27, pure and undefiled religion. Yet a lot of preachers will say, Christianity is not a religion. It's too vague of a statement here because James calls it a religion. Okay? Now I'll explain that in just a minute. But James 1.27, pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their trouble and to keep oneself unspotted from the world. Okay? First, let me deal with the religion issue. Christianity is different. It's distinct. It's unique among the world's religions because see, what religion means is it's how man should respond to God. It's your duties, your religious duty. Okay? And... Um, all the other world's religions say that's how you save. That's how you get saved. It's you perform your religious duties and you earn your salvation. Christianity, on the other hand, says no. No matter what you do, you're still going to earn hell. So you need to trust in Jesus for salvation. So then once you're saved, then you do your religious duty. Okay? So... Religion doesn't save, Jesus saves. But then once you get saved, yes, then there are going to be changes in your life and you have a, a relation, personal relationship with, with the Lord Jesus Christ and that entails certain duties, certain religious responses to God. But we do good works not to get saved. Salvation is a free gift. We do good works because... We are saved. Good works are the result of salvation, not the cause of salvation. But the two sides of holiness here, okay? If you want your walk with the Lord to be undefiled, okay, you need to do the good stuff. Visit orphans and widows in their time of need, in their trouble. But you also need to not do the bad stuff. To keep oneself unspotted from the world. Paul talked about this earlier. Um, or in fact, uh, he's going to talk about it. A, no, yeah, he talked about it a little earlier in Ephesians. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. You see, when you grieve God, you're doing something he doesn't want you to do. You're starting a fire that he doesn't want started. Okay? That's... Grieving God. So that's grieving the Holy Spirit. Quenching the Holy Spirit, which 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 talks about. Quenching the Holy Spirit means you're putting out a fire that God wants started. So we got to do both things. we got to say, hey, look, I want to do the things that God wants me to do, but I also want to not do the things that God doesn't want me to do. Okay? So... It's being led by the Holy Spirit to do the good things, 
but also being led by the Holy Spirit to say no to the bad things. And we Christians, you know, we're, we're kind of messed up. There's an awful lot of it. We don't want both sides of holiness. You know, there's some people who think I'm a holy man. Because I don't do, uh, you know, any of the bad stuff. The problem is, a lot of times the guy who says that, he doesn't do anything. That doesn't make you a godly man. That just makes you lazy. Okay? You can't serve Jesus and be lazy. You might say, well, pastor, I have a, an aunt who's a Christian and she's paralyzed. Well, she's probably a prayer warrior. Okay? But she's not inactive. Okay? So it's, it's not just don't do the bad stuff. I'm a holy man because I don't do all this bad stuff. Yeah, what about the good stuff, though? So it's, it's not just being faithful to your spouse, but are you actually spending time being kind to your spouse? Are you encouraging your spouse? Okay? So we gotta we got to walk in love, but we also have to refuse to be defiled. By those evil things. There's a lot of pastors and preachers and speakers, famous Christian leaders who are doing all the good stuff. And then you find out they're involved in some kind of horrible, sinful scandal. And some of them try to stay in their position of leadership. And it's like, no. You can't say, well, there's two sides of holiness. I'll pick this side. I'll do all the good stuff. But I want to do a lot of bad stuff in secret. No. And you can't say, well, I'm not doing the bad stuff, so I don't have to do anything. Okay? The two sides of holiness is going to be living a life of love, visiting widows and orphans in their time of need. But it's also going to be, it's also going to entail not being defiled by the world. Okay? And this is a command. Paul commands us to love and to be sexually pure, he's talking about the two sides uh, of, uh, of holiness. First uh, Corinthians 6.18, you don't have to turn there, it just says flee immorality. Now, most sins, most temptations to sin, when you get tempted to sin, uh, you do what Jesus did. We're supposed to imitate Jesus. Well, when Jesus got tempted in the wilderness, what did he do? He resisted Satan by what? By quoting scripture. But when it comes to immorality and idolatry, 1 John chapter 5, we're not told to stick around and quote scripture. We're told to flee. Okay? So if you're in a situation where you're tempted towards immorality, you need to do what Joseph did. When Potiphar's wife wanted to have sexual relations with him and grabbed his cloak, he, he just thought, man, this is, this, is, this is like, what, a couple thousand or 1,500 years or so? Well, about probably 1,800 years before Paul wrote down flea immorality. But Joseph was so close to the Lord, he knew, I, I, this is time to run. This isn't it time to stand there and quote Bible verses? And that was so early on, there weren't a whole lot of Bible verses to quote. But he just knew, i got to run away. And it didn't work out real good for him, because she tore his cloak, so 
here's a Jewish guy running around naked and he's a slave being accused by an Egyptian and this is in Egypt an Egyptian lady who's married to the, one of the most powerful guys in Egypt so she accused him of rape so the, you know, the guy went to prison but I'm sure Joseph in the midst of prison said I made the right choice you flee immorality okay and you flee idolatry as well but if we're going to be imitators of Christ imitators of God we have to flee immorality we have to be uh, morally pure but we're also told you know a lot of us might be sitting down thinking I'm, I'm doing fine on that by the grace of God and the power of God I'm doing fine on that pastor okay uh, but we're also not supposed to suffer from uh, covetousness greed I'm telling you if you're American we have issues with this this is tough every once in a while I'll bump into a guy and I'm think like Man, this guy doesn't even care about material stuff, you know? But um, how many of us, um, you know, we don't need a microwave until we find out our neighbor got a microwave. Now all of a sudden, I got to have one. And our neighbor gets a new car. Oh, now I got to get that. We're always trying to keep up with the Joneses. And um, um, I wonder if the church... If the church was doing real good in this area and we weren't suffering, suffering from covetousness, I wonder how many... I mean, to, when you're an adult, you just about have to have a, a smartphone nowadays. It's just like you don't even exist in the real world anymore. It's, it's difficult. But how many of us would probably tell our kids, no, we don't want you um, to have smartphones and things of that sort. And be careful, even as adults with smartphones. I'm telling you, and I tell my students... Only thing, politically speaking, only thing worse than being a slave and knowing you're a slave is being a slave and still thinking you're free. And I'm telling you, we are, we are there where as long as you don't mess with what is on my smartphone, I could care less what's going on in the real world. I really think I'm free. And, um, but how many of us Covet. I mean, if you get a cell phone because you just have to have it for your work or to, to go through whatever you have to go through in life to be all that God called you to be. But how many of us have stuff just because we covet those things? How many, we, now we have a church building. Um, I remember when Pastor Paul, we went 33 years without a church building. I remember when Pastor Paul Eckley called me up one day to share a praise report that the church they were renting, the, 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 the pastor retired. They had only a few people left. They were elderly, so they just gave him and his church the building. And I remember the first thought, rather than being happy for him, first thought that came to my mind is, Lord, why him and not me? You know why? I was coveting. Okay? Now, the Lord gave me about 30, 35 reasons in rapid succession why Pastor Eckley and why not me? And I was saying, like, enough, Lord, enough, you know. And then I just rejoiced with my brother. But even pastors covet. You know, you might say, oh, Pastor Phil is such a, such a holy man, you know, and, you know, lives in a, in a small house, and the, he and his wife, they only buy used cars, and... Um, 
uh, oh, he's a real, you know, holy man. He's not greedy. He doesn't covet. Yeah, you want to say that. Go ahead and say that. But don't be messing with my books. You get, you get in my library, you start messing with my reference books, you might find out that even pastors covet. You know? When Jesus says, you know, when the Antichrist goes in a temple, proclaims himself to be God, head for the hills, don't go back into your house. To get the first, well, not the first time, but a few years ago, I'm reading that passage, I'm thinking, man, I better decide right now, I better get a backpack. You know, I know you're thinking survivalist gear. I better get a backpack and find the five or six most important books I need from my library. No, Jesus said, no, don't, don't go back at all. So even pastors covet. We all covet. I watch my students. I, I have some, some young athletic students. They love the Lord. But, man, they got to have the uh, top-of-the-line basketball shoes. Got to have it. And uh, we're greedy. Okay, we're materialistic. And this is, you know, you go to a third world country where all you're praying for is enough grain so you can keep you and your family alive till tomorrow. You come to America and we're, you know, we think we're going through a, um, a Job situation because our third TV or our second microwave broke down. You know, we're thinking, wow, is it even possible to survive a trial like this? So here in America, we really got to deal with coveting. You know, uh, God's word, Paul tells us in Romans 12, rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Sometimes we covet so much when our brother is weeping, we're like, good, good, because, you know, we were always competing and, uh, and now he's going down, so that's... That's going to bring me up a little. Or they rejoice because they, they um, accomplished something or did something, and instead of rejoicing with the guy, we're, up, we're jealous because we covet. So let's not be greedy. Let's not, you know, we have to remind ourselves. I'm, I'm a patriotic American citizen. There's no doubt about it. Okay? But my ultimate citizenship is in heaven. Okay? My ultimate citizenship is in heaven. And that's the way we all need to be. And if your ultimate citizenship is in heaven, then maybe we won't covet all that stuff that we wish we could take with us. You know, maybe we'll recognize, you know, you can't... What do they say? There's no U-Hauls behind hearses? Okay? Um, Job tells us we came into this world naked. We're going to leave it naked. And... Um, uh, that's why Jesus told us, build treasures in the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew chapter 6, build treasures in heaven, which are eternal treasures rather than treasures on earth, uh, which is decay and fall apart. Um, and so he said, too, don't, you know, sexual immorality, greediness or covetousness, let it not even be named among you. So I'm hoping that people talk about Trinity Bible Fellowship. I mean, there's going to be liars. There's liars all over the place. But hopefully nobody will truth be, truthfully be able to say, what a sexually impure and greedy bunch of people they are. We're, so we're, we don't even want to, it's not that we just don't want to do it. We, we don't even want it to be mentioned around us. 
I remember when I worked with the sub-base police, there was an Italian guy. I thought he was a good-looking guy um, because he looked just like me, okay? And, um, and uh, but every, you know, I walked in after a tough duty. I walk in, you know, getting ready to turn my firearm in and go home and see the missus. And some guy's yelling at our sergeant, and he says, that's him. And my sergeant didn't even like me. He, didn't, he wasn't a pro-Christian guy. He didn't even like me. My sergeant took one look at me and said, no, it's not him. And the guy said, yeah, that's him. That's the guy that was, you know, flirting with my wife or whatever. And he said, nope, that ain't him. I know exactly who it is. It was the, in my estimation, the other good-looking guy in our in our department. There was a debate about that, but, um, um, but you know, um, one time they asked me, uh, uh, some guy filed a complaint saying that I called his wife when she came through one of the gates, beautiful, and said that she always gets stopped on random vehicle inspections because she's so beautiful that the police officers, I said, no. And I, I said, no, I've, I've never called a lady beautiful from the day I started dating my wife. That, that word doesn't pop up on my lips. Except for my bride. And my supervisor said, yep, just what I expected. Just put it in writing. They're doing an investigation. And I said, is it so-and-so again? He said, yep. And this guy got in trouble again. But so... So, but that's what we want. We want to be so pure in these areas by the grace of God and for God's glory and through God's power that people don't even mention us in the same sentence with this. And that if somebody accuses us, immediately people say, no, no, you got the wrong guy. You don't know him. Okay? And... Um, uh, so we don't even want this garbage mentioned for us. Let it not even be named among you as is fitting for saints. You know, I, I grew up Roman Catholic. And once I actually trusted in Jesus for salvation, the first two things that hit me when I studied the Bible is, number one, that we're saved or born again past tense. Where in Roman Catholicism, you could have saving graces, but you're not really guaranteed salvation unless you die with saving graces. And you could lose saving graces by committing a mortal sin. And if you don't confess it and do the penance, but this was saying, no, you're saved. Jesus was saying, you're saved, past tense. Peter said, you have been born again, past tense. The other thing was the word saints. Paul was writing his letter to saints. I said, how could you write letters to dead people? Because in Roman Catholic thought, you're only a saint if you get canonized, if the church pronounces you a saint, usually hundreds of years after your death. Okay? Two sides to this coin. Good news, if you're trusted in Jesus for salvation, good news, you are a saint right now. Okay? What's the other side of the coin? 
saints are expected to be imitators of God. A saint means a set-apart person. We have been set apart from sin and from a sinful lifestyle, and we have been set apart for God's holy purposes. Okay? Um, so, you know, when God calls us saints, we say, praise God, and then we should say, uh-oh. Okay? It would be like, um, you know, I started like real light sparring with guys at a boxing gym. They go, they go light on the old guy. They don't even hit me in the face. None of, they don't want a lawsuit or anything. And, um, but it would be like the guy who runs the gym, his name is Joe. It would be like if Joe said, they would never say it to the 61-year-old guy, by the way, but maybe some 22-year-old guy if Joe said, this is the best fighter we got in the gym. What an honor. What an honor. That's like us being called saints. What an honor. God calls me a saint. And in a boxing thing, Joe calls me the best fighter in his gym. But then there's the other side of that coin. Oh, no. Now Joe expects a lot out of me, and so does this guy, and so does anybody else who heard that. I need to stay in shape. People look to me as if I'm the best fighter in the gym. Let me tell you, God calls us saints. We've been set apart for God's holy purposes. God doesn't say we're going to become saints someday. If we're trusting in Jesus now, we already are saints. So then we've got to act that way. Well, how do you act that way? You imitate God. Why couldn't we imitate God before we got saved? Because we were not indwelt by the Holy Spirit. But now we trust in Jesus. And so we have the power, to the power of the Holy Spirit, we have the power to say no to sin, to say yes to God, and to imitate uh, God. But uh, whenever you read the word saints, set apart ones, we're set apart for God's holy purposes, um, Therefore, no one should even think of accusing us uh, of these sinful practices, these sinful behaviors. But, but I'm telling you, if you hang around, we'll see it in the very next verse, verse 4, neither filthiness, it talked about moral filthiness, though I think it's a good idea to get washed and put on deodorant and brush your teeth, you know, you don't want to push people away. You want to lead them to Christ. Neither filthiness, nor foolish talking, nor coarse jesting, which are not fitting, but rather giving a thanks. So, you know, are we guilty of filthiness, of silly talking, sinful talking, um, of joking in a way uh, that, uh, that, that, causes temptation for people. So this is forbidding filthy language, dirty jokes, vulgar remarks, you know, remarks that imply sarcastic, dirty, hidden meanings. Okay? Let me tell you, if you talk, you know, I used to say, if you talk, you talk like a truck driver. And that used to be a big insult because I guess truck drivers cursed a lot or something. I guess maybe people... 
never saw Marines. Marines were even worse than that. And, and then the Italians back in SS County, New Jersey, we were even worse than the Marines. My DI would string together five or six curse words. Like it was almost poetic. And I thought, got nothing on my mom. You know, <laughs> Angelina Minichino. You know, then she married my dad and became Fernandez. But uh, she was like, it was poetry in motion when she stringed together those those curses. Sometimes she'd yell at me and I'd, I'd be like, man, I got to get out of this room. And I just stop and I think, that was pretty poetic. <laughs> and, um, but the thing is, if you talk trash, if you talk, you know, they used to say, oh, you talk like a truck driver. Let me tell you, there's a lot of truck drivers that love Jesus. That's right. Okay? Some of the godliest people, I mean, some of them, you know, they're so lonely, they just listen to sermons and Christian music, you know, 24-7. And um, so I don't even think that expression makes any sense anymore. But sometimes they say, man, you got such a foul mouth. You, you know, you sound like this, you sound like that. Well, it, if we're going to talk like big-time sinners, then people are going to assume we're big-time sinners. And Paul says, look, you should be so far away from sinful impurity that nobody would even think um, of accusing you of being that way. Now, I, you know, when I worked in law enforcement, I don't know, about probably about 100 guys in a department, and I thought I was like the only Christian in a whole department I know there's like two guys maybe that I knew were Christians. But um, we had a new guy, his name was Curtis, but we had a new guy that came, a rookie, and we get, it was a training thing, and he was sitting in one corner, and I was sitting in the other corner of the room during a break, and he said, uh, he said, Fernandez, somebody told me you're a preacher. And I say, yeah, I am. He says, well, if God exists, how come there's poor people? How come there's suffering? They gave me the problem of evil. So I started responding to the problem of evil. And he was real receptive to it. But then all these other officers start getting mad. Say, hey, you're not supposed to talk about religion in public and all. And they started hammering me and stuff. And it was just like me and like, you know, 20 guys in the room in the class. And they were just hammering me left and right. And uh, I remember one guy, this little guy had a really deep voice. I don't know too many guys like that, but there's a little guy with a really deep voice, and he said, I never make it a, I never talk uh, religion or politics in public. And I said, Yeah, I said, uh, he said, I never argue religion or politics in public. And so I said, um, I think his name was Sablon. I said, Hey, Sablon. I said, You get to heaven, God's going to be real proud of you. He's going to say, You know what I like the most about you? He spent a lot of time arguing about the Seahawks. And he argued about the Mariners. But you never cared enough, never cared enough about me to argue about me. That's what I liked about you. And you could see immediately it just the inconsistency of what he said. But they just slamming me, slamming me. So on the next break, it was like, okay, get out of the classroom. And so I got out of the classroom. Guys are drinking coffee. Back then you could smoke in buildings and some guys were lighting up cigarettes. And three or four officers that were in that room came up to me and said, hey, I was praying for you the whole time. I'm a, I'm a Christian too. I'm like, 
I'm thinking, look, I know, I've known the guy for five years. He's a Christian. I said, where do you go to church? And he tell me what church he went to and everything. And I said, well, thanks for praying, brother. And I'm thinking, geez, with friends like this, who needs enemies? These guys, they just threw me under the bus, you know. And um, But the fact was, after that, after that training session that day, I thought about it. And whenever guys were telling dirty jokes and I was leaving the room, they were right in there talking dirty jokes with them. You know? If, um, if there's Christian secret agents, these guys are secret agents. They had me convinced they were, they were unsaved, you know? And, um, but, uh, but I'm telling you, let me tell you, you talk trash long enough, eventually you're going to do trash. You know what I'm saying? Let's say somebody ticks you off and you're angry. You keep complaining about the dude, and you keep saying, man, I'd love to punch him in the nose. You know what? If you don't repent real quick, you probably will punch him in the nose someday. Okay? So it starts with talk. In fact, I'll be, I'll be honest with you, it doesn't even start with talk. It starts with the mind. It starts in the realm of the mind, then it gets to the realm of talk, and then eventually... Um, it gets to the realm uh, of activity and behavior. And uh, um, so people shouldn't even, they shouldn't even think of talking about it, uh, us, nor should our language be that way. Now, we'll say this. When I got saved, I was in the United States Marine Corps, and it took me about two years um, before I yielded to the Lord about my language. And believe me, I was trying, but maybe I was trying in my own strength. But, you know, it was like a curse word every other. You know, my mom, like I said, my mom was a, was a poet. And, um, and um, I remember I got saved at the prayer meeting that Kathy's parents had. And they'd ask, they'd say, you know, they would call me Ferno. And they'd say, how you doing, Ferno? And I'd stop and, and there'd be like about 12 second delay. And then I'd look up and say, I'm doing pretty good. And they're, they're, they're thinking like, this guy's not too smart. How long does it, if you ask a guy how he's doing, you expect an immediate response. But what I had to do was rehearse in my head how I would respond to it, make sure I deleted all the bad words, okay? Rehearse it a couple times and then say, yeah, I'm doing fine, Okay. Uh, but then when I get back at Marine Barracks, banger, it's this curse word, that curse word. Now, now granted, from the day I got saved, I stopped hitting people. Um, I stopped loaning money to younger Marines at a certain amount of interest from one paycheck to the next. Um, uh, my crew of tough guys, we now, I started leading them to Christ and we we're going to prayer meetings and Bible study. Now, they were still cursing, Okay. So, granted, you probably would have looked at me in the first year and said, this guy can't be saved. He's got such a foul mouth. But God was working on the, the bigger stuff first. And then uh, eventually he started getting to my language. But you got, you, got, you, you got to move forward. You might say, Pastor Phil, I can't imitate God all at once. None of us can. And none of us will perfectly imitate God in this life. It's when we see Jesus face to face 
and this mortal body is transfigured, is changed in the twinkling of an eye. That's when it'll be gone. But in the meantime, you need to get better and better and better at imitating God. So first, it's got to be that, cut out that sinful activity through God's power and for God's glory. Don't try to do it in your own strength. Um, and then you got to cut out your, your sinful talk. Okay? You know what a godly man and a godly woman are? It's not someone who is, uh, has, sinless, has achieved a sinless perfection. Okay? That's not going to happen until Jesus comes back. All right? What a godly man and a godly woman are, somebody, you might spy on them for a week and say, man, I've, I followed you, brother, for the whole week. You didn't sin once. You didn't do anything bad. You didn't say anything bad. You know what a godly brother's going to say to you? I'm glad you can't read minds. Okay? So what I'm saying is, we're going to be fighting this battle with sin. Through the power of the Holy Spirit, we have no excuse for sinning. We're now slaves to righteousness, no longer slaves to sin. But we're going to be fighting this battle with sin until Jesus returns. So please, do me a favor. Do yourself a favor. Try to imitate God, okay? Fight the battle with sin in the realm of the mind. You get a sinful thought, rebuke it, okay? You get angry and you're thinking, man, I want to whoop that guy and this and that. You, you, you acknowledge that it's sin, you confess it, and then you repent. You don't do it anymore and you ask God for forgiveness and you move on. But fight the battle. You fight the battle in the realm of the mind, okay? You're not going to have to worry about it trickling out into your language. And then you're not going to have to worry about that trickling out to your behavior, okay? And, uh, but we want to be imitators of God. So we shouldn't even joke in a sinful way. Now, again, remember the two sides of holiness? The two sides of holiness, one is doing the right thing and the other is not doing the bad thing, okay? And it's all through God's power and for God's glory, okay? So we're not supposed to have coarse jesting or foolish talking. Instead, rather giving of thanks. Giving of thanks. So... You shouldn't say, well, you know, my friend, my friend Harry is such a godly guy. He never curses. That's it. If Harry really is a godly guy, he not only never curses, but he should be always giving thanks. Okay? You, you know that American Christians are probably the least content Christians on the planet Earth. Can you, can you imagine if you flew out to Ethiopia to meet with a Christian brother for him to counsel you and you start listing your, your problems and, um, and all of a sudden you realize this guy's house is not as nice as your house. 
He doesn't even have a car. He doesn't even have a job. And after a while, you start realizing, man, I'm, I'm doing a lot, a lot of complaining, and I got it better. Let me tell you, poor American Christians live better than the kings of some countries. We covet. We're greedy, and we're not in the business of giving thanks. We want to imitate God. You, you realize how many times Jesus gave the Father thanks? He was God incarnate. Um, we need to be people who give uh, God thanks. So I'm going to close with this passage, and we'll pick it up there next week. But 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 16 through 18. In fact, I'm also going to read James 3, 8 to 10. This is the importance of the tongue. It's kind of like, you know, God created you. Why did God create you? He created you to glorify him and to praise him. So then why did God give you a tongue? He gave you a tongue to give thanks to your king. Okay? And uh, James 3, 8 to 10. But no man can tame the tongue. It is an unruly evil full of deadly poison. With it we bless God and Father, our God and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in the similitude or the likeness of God. Out of the same mouth proceed blessing and cursing, my brethren, these things ought not to be so. So not only do you not say the bad stuff, but you need to be saying the good stuff. You need to be thankful. You know, one of the reasons why our unsaved neighbors are not even attracted in the slightest to Jesus is because they don't see us giving thanks. If we act like we're just as irritable as the world is, we act like we've got nothing to offer them. And in 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 to 18, last year for our school, this was the the, the year passage. Rejoice always. Even th when things go bad, we're to rejoice. Why? Because we know God's going to work it for good. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. In everything, give thanks. It doesn't say for everything. When my dad died, I didn't thank God. Thank you, God, that my dad died. I didn't thank God for it, but it's my job to thank God in the midst of it knowing God will work it for good. In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Okay? If we want to imitate God, we have to be morally pure. We have to be loving. Uh, we need our words to be words, not of bitterness, but encouraging words that give thanks, okay? And, um, you know, uh, what I, I wrote a paper on Blaise Pascal once, and to illustrate one of his points, I said that uh, you could, you can take 60,000 people at a football game, and they'll be screaming and cheering,
and jumping up and down and expressing emotion. And if their team wins, they're, they're cheering, they're expressing thanks. And you put those same people in a church. And they're just quiet. The word of God is being preached, but nobody gets excited about it. Now, by the way, I'm not saying be loud, okay? But I'm saying something's wrong. Something's wrong if your pastor gets more excited watching a Raider game than he does preaching the word of God, okay? But, um, man, we ought to be thankful. I'm telling you, if they outlaw Christianity, they take your house, they throw you in prison, put you in solitary confinement, you ought to still be giving thanks. Because our God is good, he keeps his promise, and a day is going to come when Jesus is going to take his stand upon the earth and make things right. Let's imitate God. Uh, let's be thankful people rather than being greedy and, and morally impure. Let's be people who give thanks and rejoice always and pray without ceasing. Father, in Jesus' precious name, we just love you, Lord. And uh, we, not, we want not only to be saved, Lord, but we want to be obedient. We want to be imitators of you. And so I pray, Lord, that through the power of the Holy Spirit and for your glory, that you would make the changes that need to be made in our lives so that we would do what you have called us to do and that we would say what you called us to say and that we would even think what you've called us to think. And Lord, it's my prayer that each and every one here would acknowledge we're sinners, we cannot save ourselves, we deserve hell, but that your son Jesus died on the cross for our sins and took our punishment for us and then rose from the dead to conquer death for us. So it's my prayer that each and every one here would trust in your son Jesus alone for salvation, but that we would also then say, okay, now that I'm saved, I need to be an imitator of God through the power of the Holy Spirit and for the glory of the triune God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. All right, God bless you, everybody. Uh, if you want to get some fellowship downstairs, that'd be great. But God bless you. Have a great week. Running through fields of green At night under starry skies